And now we go live to the Overture Center's Capitol Theater for the 39th Madison Dane County King Holiday Observance. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Good evening. We are broadcasting live from the Capitol Theater at the Overture Center at the 39th Annual Madison Dane County King Holiday Observance. For the past hour, we've been hearing the community choir performing in the Capitol Theater, and now we turn in to the rest of the celebration. Tonight, we'll hear a keynote address from Dr. Terrence Roberts, one of the Little Rock Nine. We'll also hear performances from the MLK Community Choir and a presentation of the three honored uh, this year with the Humanitarian Awards. We are about to go as folks get seated. You are again listening to the 39th annual Madison Dane County King Holiday. I'm Christy Clark Pajara, professor and chair of the Department of African American Studies at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Um, and I just want to tell you really quickly, I wasn't expecting applause. <laughs> um, if you see me yawning tonight, it is not because I am checked out. Uh, uh, my family and I just got back from India Saturday night. Uh, we were visiting my husband's family, so my days and nights are switched. So the yawning is no reflection on anyone on this stage or anyone here tonight, um, but I'll do my best. On behalf of the Madison-Dane County Martin Luther King Jr. Coalition, I am very pleased to welcome you to the 39th annual Madison-Dane County Observance honoring Dr. King's legacy for equality, justice, and peace. Thank you for joining us to celebrate, reflect, and connect, as well as to commemorate Dr. King's 95th birthday today, January 15th. Tonight's program is a culmination of events planned by the coalition to realize Dr. Dreams, Dr. King's beloved community, including Friday's community dinner, yesterday's ecumenical service co-hosted with Fountain of Life Covenant Church, and today's youth call to action activities. We continue to be presented with challenges within our community and throughout the nation as we witness the fight for civil rights is far from over. From book bans that exclude history and culture, to voting rights, to healthcare access, to economic stability, and the push against DEI. As members of this community and state, we must work individually and collectively to ensure that all people from all walks of life, especially those who are marginalized, can execute their constitutional rights. We are grateful. We are grateful to have you join us for tonight's observance. Welcome to everyone at the Overture Center and those tuning in from WART. We have an outstanding program that includes the recognition of the 2024 Madison and Dane County Martin Luther King Jr. Humanitarian Awardees by the County Executive and Mayor. Musical selections from the MLK Community Choir, rededication of our commitments to social justice, a call to action, and of course, the highlight of our program, a speech from Dr. Terrence Roberts. That's a 
real treat for me. It's incredible to see someone that you have read about and taught about in person. MLK Day reminds the nation that the critique, that critique is one of the greatest forms of patriotism. And more importantly, that the fight for freedom supersedes patriotism. Dr. King reiterated and expanded upon generations of black freedom fighters like David Walker, Mariah Stewart, Frederick Douglass, and Ida B. Wells. Their collective criticism of state and federally sanctioned racism was grounded in a love of freedom and the possibilities of what the United States had the potential to become. Martin Luther King Day reminds me of what I admire most about the US Constitution, the amendment process, the ability to change and modify our founding document. One of the first things the founders did was correct themselves. We refer to these corrections as the Bill of Rights or the first 10 amendments. We have the constitutional right and the constitutional responsibility to expand freedom. We must maintain the course set for us by Dr. King for a foundation of strength, love, and action. Your attendance here tonight, your volunteerism, your donations support this forward movement toward a more equitable and just society. Now we will sing the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing.
full disclosure here. I am here because of Reverend King's life and legacy. There's a lot that I see in the unfolding legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King when I pause and review my own life with the lenses of Reverend King's prophetic, pastoral, and pivotal interjections. I was a, I'm a Central American from El Salvador, a country that is still living the results of a civil war led by the same protagonist currently at play in the global stage. I was raised in rural Georgia, learned about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King at eight years old, and boy did his life and legacy ring so true for an immigrant like me. I became acquainted with some of the labels, some of those oppressive labels of society that Reverend King lived in his own unique ways. I became a DACA recipient in the South, Georgia being one of three states that barred higher education to people with my immigration status. Went to a university despite it, studied religion and psychology, went to seminary in Atlanta, a few miles away from the historic Ebenezer Baptist Church. That's the church where Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King preached his first sermon, Three Dimensions of a Complete Life, and it is rooted in Reverend Dr. King's spirit of resistance against threats to the complete life that all should be given a chance to live. In his words, quote, quote, the breadth, the depth, and the height of life. And so I would like for us to stand right up I know that we're fired up to get things started, so as we do the invocations, let us stand as you are able. It is rooted in Reverend Dr. King's spirit. It is God with us in the resistance, resilience, and defense through the lives and ancestors of the people of Ho-Chunk. Rooted in the hunger of communal autonomy, interdependence, and harmony of neighboring tribes across Wisconsin, from the lands of Dakota to Menominee, God's presence with us catapulted in the fight for freedom by free black peoples early on in Wisconsin, from Cheyenne Valley and Pleasant Ridge. It is the spirit of liberation rooted and further unleashed during the civil rights movement that leads us forth in this consequential year of 2024 where we can say that this is the land for the people, for average people like you and me, not a country of presidents, not a country of wannabe dictators, where we can say that this is the land for all of us here. Some of the words that I would like to lift up in this invocation is one that strikes me as relevant for today. I believe that the unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right temporarily defeated is stronger than evil triumphant. And boy, we felt defeated the last few years, haven't we? And so, as we are here all together, we stand together for justice. And all of us here are a blessing in of itself and where we can best position ourselves to advance towards all the things that we've been fighting for. And I'll share the last quote from Reverend King as well, that all of us should be a worldwide fellowship that lifts neighborly concerns beyond one tribe, race, class, and nation. Reverend Dr. King's unfolding legacy 
is a blessing for us this evening and is demanding us that we continue to defend the breadth, the depth of life for everybody and empowering us to be all that we have been designed to be. Amen, ashe, aho, namaste, shalom, selah, and so more it be. Amen. Oh, Lord, I need you. 
stumble and block. But lead me oh, 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 Good evening. We've come to the awards portion of the evening. And every year it's the honor of the mayor and the county executive to present these awards. And tonight our first award goes to Matthias Lemos Castillo. Matthias, your work with inclusion and community building exemplifies the spirit of the award that you received today, honoring Dr. King's legacy. Community building is about engaging and elevating voices, including and especially those voices that often go unheard. Through your various leadership roles, including your current position as board chair of Latino Professionals Association of Greater Madison, you have refined and shared your skills and now focus your work on helping individuals and organizations achieve their goals through intentional community engagement. You share Dr. King's passion for social justice and it informs your work and your relationships. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, everyone. First and foremost, Matias Lemos Castillo. Uh, and I want to emphasize I am very, very grateful to be here. Uh, I'm going to keep it short. People backstage said I only get two minutes, then the music starts. Uh, <laughs> so, like I said, I want to express my gratitude to the individuals, the groups, and the organizations of the Madison community that have supported the work and continue to invest in my growth. My goal is to repay their kindness and to continue to give back as we navigate this journey together as a community. MLK, Martin Luther King courteously stood up against institutionalized racism and fought as an agent of change. His powerful speeches and peaceful protests that inspired millions to uh, join the cause and work towards dismantling the oppressive systems that continue to impact society to this day. 
Through his leadership and dedication, MLK became a symbol of hope and a catalyst for change in the fight against racial discrimination. Through my engagement work uh, with people from all walks of life, I have come to learn that change is not done alone, but through building community and connections. When we lean into curiosity, we are able to learn about each other and in turn overcome the obstacles that oppress us. I see this reflected in MLK's philosophy of nonviolent civil disobedience. The philosophy seeks to win friendships and understanding as it aims to defeat injustices. It seeks to add and multiply rather than divide, subtract and divide. In my line of work, I encourage everybody I work with and tonight, I'm gonna to encourage everybody in this room to embrace curiosity and have the courage to become agents of change. Collectively, we all play a role in the fight against discrimination, not just in the United States, but around the world. So as we leave tonight, my last two minutes, and continue to honor MLK, I encourage everyone to continue learning with open minds and to remember that you too can fight for justice and inequality. Together we can bring about a society that judges people by the content of their character and not by the color of one's skin. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. How are you doing? I'm Joe Parisi. I'm the county executive, and it's an honor to be here tonight. And before I get going, can we just give it up for the musicians here tonight? Thank you all. <laughs> DJs. We appreciate you. Ashiana, where are you? Where is she? Is she up? There she is. Make your way on up. Ashiana, it is such an honor to be able to recognize you tonight, because the reason we're all here tonight is for you and for your generation. So thank you for inspiring us and making us proud. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Ashiana Alexander. Ashiana is a tireless youth leader in our community who has been working to make change in our schools and communities for over five years. Prior to becoming a youth leader, she was also a member of Black Girls Matter. Due to her ambitious nature and strong leadership qualities, while in this group, she was given an opportunity to be part of the Freedom Youth Squad. Here, her determination as a youth leader stood out. Ms. Alexander advocated for the youth in her community. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and never shied away from speaking her truths. Where's Corinda? I think she out-selfied you, Corinda. Did you check that out? We have the selfie queen here, but I think she just was up. <laughs> and never, never shied away from speaking her truths, especially regarding the school system, and even traveled around the nation to show support for her causes. During Ms. Alexander's free time, she's also volunteered at Freedom Inc., organizing and assisting with events. All of this has helped mold her into a successful leader in the community. She has also begun her first year of college and is seeking to learn even more about African-American youth. Ms. Alexander shows no sign of slowing down 
and there is no doubt she is an inspiration and very much deserving of this recognition. So it is with great pleasure that we award Ashiana Alexander the 2024 City-County Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Humanitarian Award. I just want to start off by saying, hey, my name is Asiana, and thank you to everyone here to support me. It took a long time for me to realize how my words truly do speak to those around me. Growing up in worlds designed to fail students that look like me, it wasn't easy. But with the help with nonprofit organizations and outside of Madison School District, I have learned and truly realized what, should have, what school should have looked like growing up for me. Because I didn't have a voice as a child, I couldn't pinpoint the feelings of loneliness in schools that I felt. I had no voice and, was out of, and I felt like I was out of place. That is what drives me to be who I am today. I speak for the youth and represent the importance of black and brown communities fighting for a school system that chooses restorative justice over punitive punishments. <laughs> These things, affect, these things affect students of color. We deserve schools that we can walk in and feel safe. We deserve spaces where we can express how we feel to somebody that looks and talks like us. Schools deserve spaces where children can learn from their mistakes. This goes for kindergarten through 12th grade systematic punitive responses to children's behaviors. The world is evolving and school systems need to as well. Build counselors and ops cops. We need to start advocating for our youth and out, in and out of schools. It's important to know what the school board is up to and know the punitive punishments are only making these kids do the opposite of what you want. Te teaching kids about restorative justice will help them learn from their mistakes. Punitive punishments are not working and it's time that we put, it, put our all into making a better place for learning. I will forever and always speak for the youth and I am thankful for this award. If, <laughs> my bad y'all, I'm nervous. <laughs> if younger me knew I'd be so vocal and actually speak up about the things that affect me in school, she would be so proud. Thank you for everyone who nominated me for this award. I truly appreciate it. I think traditionally we do two awards, one city and one county, or two city-county, but this year we're doing three. Uh, and I think you'll understand why when I tell you that the third award is going to Dr. Jack E. Daniels III. Dr. Daniels can't be with us this evening, but we will hear from him in a minute. So I get to just tell you, although I certainly hope most of you know, some of the amazing things that Dr. Daniels has done for this community. Dr. King's vision of a just society 
absolutely included educational opportunities for everyone. And that is a vision that Dr. Daniels has carried forward in the Madison region. He has worn different hats, including professor, dean, and college president. And he's worked at diverse institutions, including technical colleges and graduate schools. Throughout Dr. Daniels' career, he has been committed to providing educational and community resources to the most underserved populations in our community. And if you were at the celebration in the Capitol this afternoon, you will have heard that he is committed to listening to those communities and to providing them with the opportunities that they are asking for, not just what he thought, but to deeply listen to community, which is, I think, a key part of the work of justice. His work has included initiatives to develop high school academies, workforce training programs, transfer agreements with HBCUs. He's been instrumental. Yeah, shout out to the HBCUs and the Divine Nine. I see those deltas out there helping make everything work. Dr. Daniels has been instrumental. Oh, all right, don't, 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 do not overlook the AKAs. Get myself in trouble here. Whew. It's all a sisterhood, right? It's all a sisterhood. Dr. Daniels has been instrumental in fostering a collaborative governance environment that champions respect and acknowledges the contributions of faculty, staff, and students at Madison College, more of that listening to everyone. And one of Dr. Daniel's most significant contributions as president of Madison College is the establishment of the Goodman South Campus in 2019 in South Madison. And I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that another one of his most significant contributions will be the Goodman South Campus's expansion to include a childcare facility to serve the South Madison community. Dr. Daniels has been a quiet, calm, and strong presence leading our community forward. He is retiring, but hopefully not leaving us. And it is my distinct honor to award Dr. Jack Daniels the 2024 City County Martin Luther King Jr. Humanitarian Award. Thank you. First, thank you for the City County Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Humanitarian Award. I'm so very sorry I am not able to be with you this evening. I'm deeply honored and appreciative of this recognition. I share this recognition with every aspect of our community. I'm thankful to this community for its support, providing critical input and friendship. But what is key is our collaborative effort to make change. Collaboration is best to make critical change and keeping us accountable among the collaborative effort is key 
to ensuring the change and making change sustainable. And when I think of humanitarianism, I focus on how we promote human welfare. It is so very important now. I appreciate that Dr. Roberts will speak of his experiences this evening, and I believe that the strength of the impact was with the Little Rock Nine. And the strength of the Nine was powerful in being the catalyst for further change. The focus on human welfare is as strong today as it was over 60 years ago. These challenges are psychosocial as well as political, education, housing, food insecurity. These and others require our collaborative effort to improve how we treat and help others reach a high quality of life in varied areas, knowing that these areas intersect with each other. I truly accept this award on behalf of everyone in this community who are committed to making critical change in our community to improve the community's quality of life and the defined intention to engage each other and continue to make the interventions that make this community better in addressing its needs. Thank you. And that was Dr. Jack Daniels III speaking. He was one of three to win, uh, be awarded a humanitarian award this year. Uh, we are broadcasting live from the 39th annual Madison Dane County King Holiday Observance, and you are listening to it live from the Overture Center here on WORT Madison. Here we go with another musical selection from the Martin Luther King Jr. Community Choir.
to make sure they were done this time. <laughs> My notes didn't say two, but that was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really trying to hold my nerdiness together right now because I'm a historian and being able to introduce our keynote speaker is an incredible treat for me. It is a pleasure and a privilege to have Dr. Terrence Roberts with, with us to remember and reflect on his experiences as one of the nine students who desegregated Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas to honor the legacy of Dr. King. <laughs> Dr. Terrence Roberts made history in 1957 as one of the Little Rock Nine. He attended segregated schools throughout his life until he volunteered to help desegregate Little Rock Central High School. His first several attempts to enter the school were stopped by the Arkansas National Guard and angry mobs of up to 1,000 people. I think we need to pause and realize he was a child. He was a child. Eventually, President Dwight Eisenhower Eisenhower federalized the Arkansas National Guard and dispatched members of the 101st Airborne Division to accompany the students to school for the remainder of the year. Dr. Roberts went on to a successful academic career that included earning a PhD in psychology from Southern Illinois. He served for many years as co-chair of the Department of the Master of Arts in Psychology at Antioch College in Los Angeles. Additionally, he is the CEO of Terrence J. Roberts and Associates, which is a management consulting firm, and received an honorary doctorate from California State University, San Marcos. Dr. Roberts and the other Little Rock Nine were awarded the Congressional Medal, uh, were awarded the Congressional Gold Medal by President Bill Clinton. 
His story has been told in books and movies, and he continues to tour the country, urging that we learn from this ugly past and commit to working towards a continued progress. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Terrence Roberts. You're listening to WORT Madison. Thank you. Thank all of you indeed. I give thanks to the planning committee who extended the invitation for me to come tonight and join this outbreak of recognition for Dr. King. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing when you look back in time, 1957, but even further back than that for me, because as a young kid, I, I realized something was amiss in Little Rock. Something was not right. I didn't know what it was. I was too young to know. So those very early years were fraught with uh, lots of questions. As a first grader, I remember going to Miss Waugh's class at Dunbar, not Dunbar, Gibbs Elementary. Dunbar was a middle school. Miss Waugh said to us six-year-olds, she said, you kids, you must take on executive responsibility for learning. Now, that's quite a large thing to say to a group of six-year-olds. <clears throat> but there was something inside me that was prepared for that. I don't know if you believe in this sort of stuff, but, but sometimes you are leading up to something. You don't know what it is. But when you see it, when you feel it and you touch it, you know what it is. When she spoke those words, there was a resonance. And I established the Terry Roberts Learning Academy in September of 1947. And that academy has been full-blown since. <laughs> Dues paid, no late fees. Why? Because learning is paramount. All of us suffer from the disease of ignorance. I admit freely. The largest thing I own is a storehouse of ignorance. My goal is that by my end date, that storehouse will be diminished. I will continue to learn. It's imperative, you know, and I preach this gospel to kids as many times as I can because I think a lot of kids today, because of the, the way society has been structured, have been lost in terms of the efforts to educate self, to take on that executive responsibility. I, I have two grandsons, so I know what I'm talking about. Now, not, you know, they're not dumb kids. They know a lot. But they're not learning. But in any case, we're not here to talk about them. <laughs> I'm going to say a few words about Little Rock, and then we're going to spend our time talking about other things. And I think Little Rock's an important place to start because it was a microcosm of all of the stuff that's wrong with us as a society. There were people in Little Rock who were in that mob who I could tell by looking were grandparents because they were holding the hands of their grandkids as they marched outside the school and yelled obscenities at us, the nine. And I felt compassion for those little kids. Who's going to watch out for those guys? What are they learning from those grandparents? What ideologies are they absorbing? I was powerless to do anything, but I said I'm going to commit myself to learning how to do that. So now I try to speak to kids every time I have a chance to encourage them to take on people who try to interrupt their progress as humans. A few years ago, I was 
invited by the Kentucky State Department of Education to come and review social studies textbooks. I said, yes, I'll take that on. I, I think they had in mind that I would review these books to make sure that the information in there was useful for kids of color. That's what I thought. The other thing I thought was, I will find problems. I was very clear about that. There will be stuff that has to be changed or eliminated. But I was unprepared for what I did find. I just opened the book, the social studies textbook, to the part on Dr. Martin Luther King. And it started off with this sentence, and I quote, Dr. King was a great leader for black people. I closed the book. I said, if this is characteristic of what else is in here, it's not worth my reading. And I reported this to the educators there in Kentucky. I don't know if they changed the thing. I don't know if they were willing to change it in the first place. I think probably I was brought there just for window dressing. So they could say, this has been vetted by one of the Little Rock Nine. I've had that happen. At any rate, <laughs> that is not the only time I've read stuff like that. For centuries, black people in the United States have been relegated to the margins of society, considered to be outside the realm of meaningful social change. So how could Martin Luther King be anything but a leader for black people? James McCune Smith, a physician and pharmacist, saw what could happen when the mind turns from reason to create mental images of black people that have nothing whatsoever to do with objective reality. In 1852, underline that date, 1852, in a fiery speech decrying the invention of race, he wrote, the Negro with us is not an actual physical being of flesh and bones and blood, but a hideous monster of the mind, ugly beyond all physical portraying, so utterly and ineffably monstrous as to frighten reason from its throne justice from its balance, and mercy from its hollow temple, and to blot out shame and probity and the eternal sympathies of nature, so far as these things have presence in the breast and being of American Republicans. No, sir, it is a constructive Negro, a John Rowe and Richard Doe Negro that haunts with grim presence the precincts of this republic, shaking his gory locks over legislative halls and family prayers. That was James McCune Smith in 1852. Now, Smith was able to see the profound impact of eternalized belief systems as they were played out in his 19th century existence. Akin to that report, we have these words from the man who was to become our 16th president, then Senator Abraham Lincoln. Mammon is after him. Ambition follows. Philosophy follows. And the theology of the day is fast joining the fray. They have him in his prison house. They have him searched. They have left no prying instrument upon him with which he might be able to try to open the heavy iron doors which close upon him. And now they have him, as it were, bolted in with locks a hundredfold. And each of the hundred keys in the hands of a hundred men scattered to distant and vast parts of the universe, scattered across the world. And they stand, these hundred stand out there, 
musing as to what invention in all the dominions of mind and matter can be produced to make the impossibility of his escape more complete than it is. That's from soon-to-be President Lincoln. That statement was made in 1857 in the wake of the Dred Scott decision. We don't have time to talk about that, but I would encourage you to read the story of Dred Scott as well. Lincoln, James McKeown Smith, both of them, they could not have known how prescient their statements were. But it was absolutely true. It was true then. It is true in 2024. Similarly, Dr. Smith's analysis was prescient then, and it has withstood the test of time. Dr. King was well aware of this reality. In his estimate, the United States suffered from a soul sickness. It was his intent to teach and speak with conviction about this sickness. But, and always, there is that troubling group of people that conjunction, the but, even though he was saying this, his efforts were to be minimized, relegated to the corners. Bernard Malamud wrote a novel called The Fixer, sometimes during the 60s, I can't remember the date. But there was one sentence in that book that stood out to me, and I will always remember it. Bernard Malamud writes this, in a sick country, any sign of health is seen as an insult to those who live off the sickness. Think about how much money was made on the backs of black people enslaved for those hundreds of years. That sickness led to great wealth for them. Anybody who would change that system had to confront them and they were not willing to have it. Ergo, it lasted for as long as it did. They went down fighting. They're still fighting. Dr. King's knowledge increased rapidly over the course of his shortened life. He outgrew the confining limits of the black-white binary and saw the capitalistic imperative. He talked about the scourge of poverty visited upon the poorest among us. Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, refers to this capitalistic economy as an extraction economy a system whereby what is possessed by the poor is quickly extracted from them and given to the rich and the wealthy. This collection of uncompensated or inadequately paid labor, taxes, fees, rents, interests, fines, assessments, and the profits from overpriced material goods of dubious value to physical and mental well-being is funneled upward to pad the growing accounts of those who occupy the highest economic strata. I thought about that the other day when I read about the growing wealth of Elon Musk. I don't know much about that in the particular case of that one man, but I know about it in general in terms of what I see in this society, where our society is becoming more and more changed in the direction of creating that very small, wealthy class and then a very large, poor class middle class is being wiped out, essentially, as we think about it. Well, as Dr. Arthur, pardon me, David Garrow states, in the last 12 months of his life, King represented a far greater political threat to the reigning American government than he ever had before. 
And this was because he had gone to Memphis to organize garbage collectors who wanted fair pay. He had talked about the Vietnam War as being an immoral war, and he wanted it to stop. His brazen murder in 1968 demonstrates for all of us who would see the depths of commitment on the part of those who live off the sickness being played out. Ten years before his death, I had the opportunity to meet Dr. King. He came to Little Rock. He came there to talk to the group of nine of us. Ernie Green, one of our group, was a senior that year. He graduated. The eight of us, the remaining eight, were not allowed to attend that ceremony. That was considered too dangerous. But Dr. King went, it was supposed to be only Ernie and his immediate family. So Dr. King passed himself off as an uncle. <laughs> it was early in his career. There weren't that many photos of him around. He could do it. Well, you know the old thing. They all look alike. <laughs> any rate, after the graduation, all of us who were unable to attend the ceremony met with Ernie and his family and Dr. King at the home of Daisy Bates. This was the Arkansas State NAACP president. And at her home, we used to gather there as a group of nine, actually. We spent a lot of time at her house because we were not allowed to participate in any extracurricular activities at school. So after school, we would go there to hang out to sort of decompress and talk about the death threats and the attempts on our lives during that day. You know, that was a crazy year because we were told from the beginning we had no business there and we should leave. And if we chose not to leave, we would be killed and dragged out. So we lived under that threat every day. And I honestly, as a 15-year-old, thought I was going to wind up on some coroner's list on any given day. I didn't. And it's miraculous that none of us were killed. I can't explain to you how that happened. <laughs> you know, I used to look around at these kids and think, you know, they, if they really wanted to, they could. I think there's something holding them back. And I really think it was divine intervention, to tell you the honest truth. Now, my thinking about what words to include in this talk were accompanied by my reading of the bicentennial edition of a book about the life of Frederick Douglass. It was actually his own autobiography. But his family, going forward, came together and decided to produce this bicentennial edition. But the main part in it is that Brian Stevenson, who is the CEO of his uh, justice, pardon me, operation down in Alabama, he wrote this paragraph of introduction, and he says this, commentators routinely describe Douglas as one of the towering Negro leaders in American history. Get that resonance? King, Douglas without recognizing that this segregated view of greatness merely confirms the challenges we still face in the country today. Frederick Douglass is one of our nation's greatest leaders without qualification. His gifted moral reasoning for equality, uncontradicted by racist ideology and uncontaminated by gender bias, was articulated in the clearest, most consistent and authentic voice for equal justice in the 19th century. There's another book to read, by the way. He's got more than one autobiography, so he can read a lot. Dr. King sought to instill hope and to inspire people to know the truth and to speak truth to power. He was especially eloquent in his April 16, 1963 letter from Birmingham jail. Some of you read that. He sought to convince his fellow ministers that it was a part of God's plan that they confront the evils in society. 
You know, it's very interesting. Sometimes you're not quite sure what some ministers are thinking about. Down in Little Rock, I had a black minister confront me one day. He said, boy, you know you have no business up there talking about Central. And I looked, because this was not a part of our conversation. And he says, but since you're up there, you might as well stay. Then I thought, is this guy trying to hedge his bets with God? What's going on here? <laughs> I don't know. But back to the letter from Birmingham jail. A group of clergymen had written a letter to Dr. King admonishing him for moving too fast. You should slow down and wait. And Dr. King penned an essay that might well be included in the social studies textbooks in Kentucky. In the letter, he respectfully addresses his fellow clergymen and invites them to consider the error of their ways. The eight white clergymen who co-authored the letter to Dr. King represent that segment of the population characterized most prominently by the notion that black people are too much of a hurry to gain equal rights. Speaking directly to this strange observation, Dr. King writes, frankly, I have never yet engaged in a direct action movement that was well-timed according to the timetable of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. Later in the letter, Dr. King chastises the numerous religious leaders of some Southern congregations for telling their parishioners to comply with decisions banning segregation because it is the law. He expresses his longing that he would hear them say, follow this decree because integration is morally right and the Negro is your brother. Well, that is an amazing kind of a thing, but again, much of that still happens in 2024. I remain confused about the message he intended to communicate. That was a minister who told me about being at Central. You know, I, I ponder that a lot because I have a great respect for the ministry and all that it represents. And I really want people to be more consistent. But that's a personal observation. Just throwing it in. Now, those of you familiar with Dr. King's use of biblical passages will recognize this verse as one he was very fond of quoting. The Old Testament prophet Amos writes in chapter 5, verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. You know, the visuals just blow you away when you think about that. Think of all this water rushing down, justice and mercy flowing over us. Amos's call demands a reappraisal of religion and religious priorities, raising social justice higher in the scale of values. That was an issue of the highest order for Martin Luther King. He was a modern-day prophet, urging the United States of America to rethink its commitment to the less fortunate among us. You know, as we drove up here today, in the snow and this cold, we were at the corner out here in the corner by the library. I've forgotten the street names. But there were a couple of men, maybe three of them, trying to get into the library. But the door was locked. It was cold out there, and they were seeking warmth. I, this all flashed through my head. Now, I had an entry because I was an invited guest and went through a back door that was open. I told the men, I'm going to go back and open the door for you, but I didn't have that power. And I think it would have been against the library rules, and I might have gotten into trouble. You know how that goes. Uh, I had to be careful. Maybe next time I will open that door. There is a, another story I want to share with you as we think about Martin Luther King's thinking. This comes out of the Second World War. 
Langdon Gilkey, the author of a book called Shantung Compound, tells of his life in a large Japanese internment camp in northern China during World War II. And there were about 1,500 detainees, a number of which were Americans. And they were largely the, the internees, the prisoners of war, they were left mainly to organize themselves, to make the rules for how they were going to exist socially and communally. And then one January 1945, a shipment of parcels came from the US, about 15,000, 1,500 rather, parcels, food and personal things like soap and so forth. And the Japanese commander decided to give one of the packages to all of the internees, whether they were American or not. The Americans protested. They said, well, since it's coming from the US, we as Americans have the right to distribute them how we want. Well, they came up with a system that gave them the lion's share. The Americans were few in number compared to the whole group, but they would get five and a half packages each. That would leave one quarter package for the rest of the people. And guess who was pushing for this plan? The Christian soldiers. They were the ones making the case. They were providing the ideological, the rational explanation for why this should be so. Wow, but that's how it is also many times. There were so many people who flew the flag of Christianity out yelling at us at Central High School. I could just imagine them being in church on Sunday, preparing for their craziness on Monday. I don't know what they were told from the pulpit. I was not allowed to attend. I would imagine the contained outrage Dr. King would have to manage if he were to read about these prisoners of war. In 1967, Dr. King published Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? A pertinent question to have been asked 53 years ago or more, and no less pertinent today as we dance close to the edge of chaos every single day. And the notion of true community is as distant today as it was when his book was written. Allow me to share with you some of the language from that text. Loose and easy language about equality, resonance resolutions about brotherhood fall pleasantly on the ear. But for the Negro, there is a credibility gap he cannot overlook. He remembers that with each modest advance, the white population promptly raises the argument that the Negro has come far enough, not too far. Each step forward accents an ever-present backlash. This characterization is necessarily general. It would be grossly unfair to admit recognition of a minority of white people who genuinely want authentic equality. Their commitment is real, sincere, and is expressed in a thousand deeds, but they're balanced on the other end of the pole by the unregenerated segregationists who have declared that democracy is not worth having if it involves equality. We're going to face that in November. We have to watch out for it to see how much of that is prescient truth spoken of by King years ago. America had a master race in the antebellum South, reestablishing it with a resurgent Klan and a totally disenfranchised lower class would realize a dream of too many extremists on the right. The great majority of Americans are suspended between these two opposing attitudes. They're uneasy with injustice, but unwilling to pay a significant cost to eradicate it. One answer will be thrust upon us in November, as I said. But I would ask, can we wait that long? 
Martin Luther King Jr. waited until December 1967 to make public his opposition to the war in Vietnam. Now, he felt opposition before that, but he wanted to do it in a way that didn't upset as many people. Didn't work. But that's just the way it goes. If you step outside the lines, who knows what will happen to you. Now, if we were willing to face the facts of our existence, it would be a messy kind of thing because our history is not the best reading possible. You know, as a young man in Little Rock, I used to ask a lot of questions. But many of the black people I questioned would respond this way, boy, don't bring that stuff up. You want to get us all killed? I was shocked. And I didn't want to participate in doing anything that would get anybody killed, especially myself. So I said, okay, I'm going to back off. I won't ask questions, but I will not give up my quest. I committed myself through the auspices of my own learning academy, delve into the historical record to soak myself in it. I wound up marrying a historian, perhaps with that in mind. And she has helped me in that quest. And together, we look at the historical record, not in terms of judging it, not in terms of trying to fix it, but simply to understand what happened. See, you need to know, without doubt, we are imperfect. But even with this realization, we have pledged to create a more perfect union. That's in our history as well. We have said it. We've written it down. We sometimes talk as if we mean it. We want to establish a more perfect union. Dr. King dreamed about this. I dream about this, and I hope you do too. Because it is through your dreaming, your imagination, that the thing can take shape. Nothing happens without somebody who's willing to imagine it first, as a first step. It can't happen if you don't imagine it. And so if we do, maybe so. About four years ago, my wife and I attended a lecture by Walter Mosley, fairly well-known author. Some of you know him. He said in his speech, as he ended his presentation, I invite each of you to consider tomorrow telling the truth at least once. And I almost stood up and yelled hallelujah. <laughs> because I certainly would like to hear somebody speaking some truth sometime. We honor Dr. King by choosing his way of being in the universe. And we set a higher bar for all those who are willing to emulate our truth-telling behavior. And what do you gain? John 8.32 tells us, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Thank you. That's Dr. Terrence Roberts, one of the Little Rock Nine to desegregate Little Rock Central High School in 1957. You're listening to the 39th annual Madison Dane County King Holiday Observance. That was our keynote address, and we move on to the rest of the program. Good evening. I'm honored to participate in tonight's coalition program. My name is Carla Viju. I'm Director of Tribal Relations at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I'm also a citizen of the Oneida Nation, a Native American tribe located near Green Bay. The trail Native Americans and African Americans have traveled since colonialism came to Americas 
has been long and troubled, to put it lightly. But tonight we join together to share our hope for our community. Among Native Americans, we believe that our actions, our deeds, must benefit not just ourselves and our children, our community right now, but they must benefit the next seven generations. We support each other and take care of each other. We lift each other up. As we gather here tonight to commemorate Dr. King's philosophy and his legacy, and celebrate and reinvigorate those who continue to carry it forward, I see this commonality, one that leads us all down the path ever closer to Dr. King's dream. With the spirit in our hearts, I ask that you join me in sharing the litany of rededication. The litany was written by Reverend Mark Klinger, former senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Madison, based on keywords and principles of Dr. King. Hopefully this evening, the words will resonate with you and that we will all work to pledge to rededicate ourselves to work towards creating a more just and equitable society. I would ask, if you are able, please stand and join me by reading along the bolded sections. We pledge ourselves to the American promise that all people are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We pledge to live in mutual cooperation with all our brothers and sisters. We will weave our lives together in a single government. We will avoid the use of violence within our world, our nation, our country, our city, our neighborhood, our home, and our family. We will harbor no hatred within our hearts. We will not cooperate with evil, neither will we be patient with injustice. Now is the time for us to do what is right. We We will keep hope alive in our hearts. We believe that the universe is on the side of justice. We believe that truth is stronger than evil. We believe silence or complacency. We must work unceasingly to lift this nation to a higher destiny. This is a time for vigorous and positive action. So we pledge to lift high the banner of peace, love, and beloved community in our day and in this community. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Major General Marsha Anderson, and I'm retired from the United States Army. And I'm pleased to be a part of tonight's program by extending a call to action. I'm also a native of Beloit, Wisconsin. Hello. And I grew up in East St. Louis, Illinois. And I, and I encourage you to Google that if you don't know what that's about. As we reflect on the messages shared tonight, the King Coalition asks you to ponder how you can act to affect positive change in our communities. We ask, what are the ways in which you can advance the movement for civil and human rights in the spirit of Dr. Martin Luther King and the many others who have followed him, devoting their lives to creating change. In Dr. King's words, 
Opportunities to engage in positive action are never lost, but simply deferred to another day. We are here to ask, what will you do today, tomorrow, and every day? My life was significantly influenced by Dr. King's legacy. In 1957, when Dr. Roberts integrated the schools in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, I was a glimmer in my dad's eye. However, I was 10 years old and coming of age in a world that was changing, although slowly, reluctantly, and even violently, when Dr. King was assassinated. My family, especially the elders, told me not to just succeed, but to excel. Anything less was unacceptable. Dr. King was held up as the example of a life of selfless service to a cause greater than himself without aspiring to power or wealth. My service in the military and in the legal profession were driven by the early realization of a simple fact. If you are not at the table, then you are on the menu. Again, if you are not at the table, you will be on the menu. Simply stated, if you choose not to be there because you don't like or disagree with an institution or an organization, then you, your life and hopes, will be on the menu. Others will decide your fate, create policies, pass laws, and devise a world that does not include or serve you. Therefore, my call to action was to be at the table, to be relentlessly authentic and to speak truth to power without fear or favor, just as my elders and ancestors expected. So, in a spirit of a champion, champion of social justice, the late Ada Deer, a 2020 MLK humanitarian or awardee whom we lost last year, we challenge you to commit to action. We encourage you to explore volunteer opportunities through the coalition's ongoing partners Wisconsin Network for Peace and Justice and United Way of Dane County. We invite you to also make a financial contribution. Your gift will help to fund the King Coalition's annual observance and activities. Thank you to the members of the Madison Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated for helping with tonight's collection. Please contribute as you can and pass the basket to your neighbor. We will direct the donations to Access Community Health Centers and the Man Scholars Program. You can also donate online at m-l-kingcoalition.org or text the word MLK2024 to 33777. You can find all of these links on the King Coalition's Facebook page. Thank you in advance for your generosity, kindness, and action. Thank you for making this such an inspiring and impactful evening. From the beautiful music to the powerful words from our speaker, Dr. Terrence Roberts. The litany of rededication, the call to action, challenge us to use our voices 
and actions to continue Dr. King's legacy of service, equality, justice, and peace. Dr. King's message is not about one day or one weekend. It is about building and strengthening bridges, renewing and reinforcing the commitment that we have made tonight to each other and our community each day. As Dr. King proclaimed, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Now that this evening's program is coming to an end, we thank you for allowing us to share our holiday celebration with you. Please be safe and let us take care of each other. As is tradition, we will close the program in song, prepared and inspired to serve with the singing of We Shall Overcome, led by the MLK Community Choir. our live broadcast of the 39th annual Madison Dane County King Holiday Observance, live from the Capitol Theater at the Overture Center in downtown Madison. We shall overcome. Thank you to the King Coalition for allowing us to bring this live broadcast to you tonight. Thank you also to our technical producers, Aaron Scholes, Victor Calzoni, and Emmett Riley. Thank you also to Marcus Slayton for production. I'm Sholly Pittman. Up next is more from the Reverend Dr. King himself, along with a little music. You're listening to Community Radio, WORT Madison, and now we turn it back to the studio.